Hello there, and welcome to this Avenard and CIO podcast series, investigating how IT and security leaders navigate uncertainty and beyond. I'm Doug Drinkwater, contributing editor at CIO, and today I'm joined by Avenard's Mark Hawley and Tim Callahan. Mark is UK CTO and head of the resources sector, and Tim is a technology leader and Azure platform lead. Guys, welcome both. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Doug. Hello, Doug. Great, thanks both. So in this first episode of the series, we're going to concentrate on how CIOs get more value from the cloud and, and what a time to do that, given where we are at the moment with the coronavirus pandemic. Over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to look at the changing value of the cloud and how it's moving away from a simple cost play, how CIOs are managing those rising costs in the remote working world. And we're also going to look at things such as the differing stages of cloud maturity, the differing cloud models available today, and ultimately how CIOs can determine whether their cloud project is successful or not. Of course, along the way, we'll hopefully be sharing some best practice, so no pressure, Mark or Tim. But to get started then, Mark, I'm going to come to you on this because I said right at the beginning there, um, you know, we're going to talk about how the cloud has changed um, for a lot of CIOs. Where do you see CIOs today in, in terms of their cloud maturity? We're in the middle of a global crisis. Um, how do you think they would kind of rate their cloud maturity today? So I think um, CIOs who have a substantial footprint in the cloud, and I'd, I'd, I'd say that was most CIOs today, most organizations have some cloud presence and would be delighted that, that they've... Um, they have some of their systems, especially key business systems, in an environment that can operate without being labor intensive and that can scale as their customer demand scales and that they can work and they can use to work remotely. Um, so I think that they they um, were lucky to to have that in many cases. In terms of in terms of their maturity, any CIO that says to me that their cloud maturity is, you know, ten out of ten or, or very mature, I would raise an eyebrow. We work with um, different org- different organisations. Um, some of those are um, born in the cloud, and you and uh, the the wiser CIOs in those organisations would still say their maturity is is something that they always need to work on. So Amazon, Microsoft, Google have a plethora of um, tools within the, within their services that evolve on a daily basis, and in, unless those CIOs are evolving their service on a daily basis, then there is always more maturity to be had out of out of the cloud solution that they use. Great, thanks, Mark. And I think that's a nice segue, actually, um, Tim, to yourself. And I guess how we've seen that cloud maturity evolve over time and, and what you're seeing perhaps as the dominant cloud models right now, because I did see some research a while ago suggesting that the bulk of the workloads moving to cloud to date at least have been that kind of lift and shift model from on-premise into public cloud and whilst there's of course a lot of hype and talk around cloud native for example and application modernization a lot of the focus in the short-term sense at least that has been that let's lift and shift this workload and put it in a public cloud environment yeah, and that, that's correct, really. I mean, there's um, obviously there's a lot of um, sort of motivating factors when it comes to consumption and cloud. I mean, you know, there's things like data center exits. There are new application workloads, new you know, new business propositions that our clients are, are, are going after. Um, what I would say is that you know, mostly um, we are seeing a, a tendency towards lift and shift. 
Um, I, I'd argue that's probably the right way to look at it in the in the first place, just because you know it is it is actually difficult to unpick a lot of the legacy applications, and it's all about providing value as as early as possible. Um, and you know, if we're trying to invest in modernization of the entire estate, you know, it's a, it's a very long, long tail to get towards that value. Um, so you know, by lifting and shifting, and this is the thing, lifting and shifting can be quite can be quite costly from a, a hosting perspective, not so much the the, the, the getting there. Um, but the, you know, once there, there's a, an amount of optimization that can be done. So, you know, if you lift and shift like for like, you know, it's it's not necessarily always going to have the desired results. But if we do what we call a lift, shift and optimize, or sometimes we call it a lift, shift and tinker, um, you know, whereby things like, you know, uh, pre-production environments or non-prod environments, we, we turn them off, uh, you know, 80% of the time, you know, we introduce automation and things like that. Those things rapidly sort of reduce the overall cost of hosting on the cloud, and then it starts to add up. And then, then there's kind of investment, you know, in both people capability and capacity and cost to be able to then sort of divert some of those savings into some of the more juiciest stuff around the the, the cloud native stuff that we talk, that you talked about around platform as a service and microservices and containerization brilliant tim yeah i love the lift shift and tinker as well and that's a, a nice way of thinking about it and actually some good comments there on, on cost optimization and perhaps we'll come to that in a, in a few moments because obviously that's a big concern for a lot of cios especially right now I, mean, I, I guess on that note where i want to go to next here is perhaps the the elephant in the room at the uh, in the virtual room i should say at the moment which is that um you know we're also in the middle of kind of covid19 um in perhaps keeping with yourself tim here like to what extent has that shifted cloud investment priorities because i've, I've seen really a really kind of big mixture of reports here some say that you know, budgets are declining, uh, investments are declining. Um, I've seen other people and other CIOs say this is an opportunity to invest and, and double down on those digital transformation initiatives. And I guess keeping on that, actually, I think it was Satya Nadella at Microsoft saying that they'd seen two years worth of digital transformation within two months. So how do you see uh, the kind of lay of the land in terms of COVID and cloud investment? Um, so, Tim, if I could start with you there and then, Mark, get your comments after that. Yeah, sure. So um, again, it's you know the, all of these answers are always going to be it's a mixed bag. A lot of people are doing a lot of different things. Um, you know, uh, you know we are seeing a lot of our clients a lot. You know, display a lot of nervousness. Um, you know, investments have dried up, projects have been shelved. Um, you know, even high priority ones in some cases. We're still in a period of what I would say. You know, the dust is 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 still settling, um, and then you know those the decisions on what to do in the future are still sort of um, you know depending on the different industries as well, right? Different industries are being impacted in a, an entirely different different way because of the way that you know lockdown and things being eased and, and things like that so well, i'd say you know we get we've got some clients who are literally just all in you know that it does echo what Satya is saying around you know lots of digital transformation in a short period of time because they've had to adjust very quickly um but then in some cases some businesses that may not necessarily benefit from you know the, the cloud offering up front you know there's a little bit more nervousness there and there's a you know there's a you know there's a tendency to keep things as as they are at the moment i'd agree i'd agree with um with that i think as a proportion of spend investment in cloud and investment in digital transformation has increased but um depending on the organization you're in 
um, some spend some spenders significantly de decrease. So if you're in an airline uh, at the moment, you're probably not spending as much on the cloud or on digital transformation as you were mm -hmm. uh, a few months ago. But as a proportion of your overall IT spend or the overall IT spend of your organization, I'd argue that in almost all cases, it's increased because it gives you that scalability. I, I think Satya's comments are really, uh, besides the additional workload that we've seen on Azure and has been and, and has been mirrored in AWS, there's a lot in terms of remote working and home working and the massive numbers and massive increase in terms of um, collaboration tools and teams in particular. So um, I think that that's a, we, we are two years from where Microsoft probably thought we were going to be in terms of their adoption of cloud and their adoption of those tools, rather than two years worth of transformation that has happened in these last few months. Yeah, so we've not we've not been doing significantly more work, and it's just been that work has accelerated. Mm -hmm. Got you. Yeah, and I think that's a good point about the industries, right? As well, that um, I think it was IDC that was saying that. The digital transformation piece would be obviously much more relevant to those. I think the term they used was uh, recession resistant companies or industries, those less affected by the crisis that's going on at the moment. Um, I mean, I guess uh, some nice comments there in terms of the remote working piece, because I guess that brings me nicely onto the next piece of this, which is, you know, great, we're seeing this digital transformation, we're seeing workloads being moved into the cloud. However, there is a slight warning perhaps that. CIOs are looking at their state and, and, and they are starting to worry about, you know, cloud sprawl, cost management. Um, we know historically that migrations can come in over costs. Uh, they can take a lot longer than anticipated as well. And that's before we even get into the kind of muddle of uh, coronavirus. And, and I know in the recent weeks we've seen stories of, you know, even simple stuff like line of business spinning up new services without IT oversight or virtual machines being left on and underutilized. Um, so, Tim, what's your perspective on that? Is, that? is that a big worry at the moment for CIOs? I guess they're kind of looking to rationalize their state anyway, and, and they're looking at that cloud sprawl and, and cost management piece. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I think 18, I mean, before um, COVID-19, you know, I had one client about 18 months ago who effectively just, um, you know, stopped a project in flight because he didn't feel comfortable that, you know, the cost control measures were, you know, were implemented at the right level that would mean that all of the different businesses and units would get the right appropriate chargebacks and things like that and they'd be go unaccounted. So, kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a real worry for for, for everyone, I think um, you know we. In some cases, we see um, you know technology and governance solutions put in place. I think there you know there is a technology solution for that. I mean, I, I work predominantly in the Microsoft Azure space. There is there are ways to provide guardrails both for, both from a uh, like a compliance and governance perspective, so people can't accidentally deploy say GPU accelerated machines that cost ten thousand dollars a month to run or even more than that, right? Um, and you you know. You can, with the right setup and the right preparation, um, you know, all of that can be accounted for. Um, but what it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sort of revert back to the the legacy way of operating a data center whereby IT controls everything. You know, the cloud mm -hmm. provides a model for us to, you know, build enclaves or you know landing zones that are under the control of application owners. But again, there are policies and guardrails around them. So, you know, cost management is accounted for. You know, things are you know go to the appropriate buckets and then there's limits and things that are put on there so the technology is there it's just about getting the preparation right really yeah i like a lot of the comments about the guardrails there and um 
I think we've seen that in our own research, IDG, that there is that concern around cost management and how they, and that's broad as well, I guess, getting that visibility from a, from an IT perspective. I mean, Mark, I guess taking it a slightly a level higher in, on the strategy piece, um, what's what I find quite interesting is before the crisis, we were talk, seeing a lot of talk amongst CIOs of, you know, cloud first or cloud by default. And, and I guess multi-cloud is um has been here for some time, arguably, but um, are we seeing a kind of move away potentially from that? I know uh, IDC did some research and found that 85% of CIOs are looking to kind of repatriate cloud workloads. Um, what, what's your kind of feeling of how the strategy piece is changing in light of what's going on? I'd suggest that the 85% of CIOs who are looking at repatriating is, is likely because um, they have done a lift and shift, as Tim mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. in terms of the application workloads that they've moved. Uh, but they've treated it as if it was on-premise. So the ways of working and the processes that they use and the tools that they use and the, you know, the, 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 the sequential human-based workflow rather than using a level of automation is probably where it was when they were doing it on-premise previously. And at that point, you don't get the uh, the, the um, cost benefits and efficiencies. You know the speed to markets. You know the speed to scale. The speed scale up, speed scale down as well as up that you would do in the cloud. So I think that I'd be very surprised if of those 85% that if if any of them said it was because of flexibility, you know, or lack of flexibility that they were moving back on premise. Almost all of them will be because of cost yes. runaway cost in the cloud. Yeah. Um, so I think that's how you treat the cloud. Um, on the changing strategies, multi-cloud, cloud first. I think if you are a CIO in today, you know, in, in today's world where every business is a software business, where technology technology is is the, is the differentiator in whatever industry you're in, almost, and you're not looking at cloud first, then. Um, you you know I, I'd be really surprised. You know I understand that some people's costs have run away with themselves, and that's that's because of the reasons that, that I've just mentioned. But turns out that when you run millions of servers in in effect, you know whether you're Microsoft, AWS, GCP, or whoever you are, and you automate that, you know with you know to to the to the nth degree where there's no humans involved in it, uh, you know as little as possible uh, manual intervention in any of that, and your the entire weight of your organization is behind doing that and doing that better, that you'll that you will be able to achieve better results than um, you know, any organization in the FTSE 100, any organization in the S&P 500 on running their own data center. So mm -hmm. th th they must be going cloud first. They should, you know, you ought to, you know, seriously consider cloud first every time. On, yeah. on the, on the multi-cloud point, um, 10 years ago, eight years ago, um, Everyone was saying, you know, we're not going to do vendor lock-in. You know, we're going to use, uh, and uh, you know, Azure and Amazon and GCP and mm -hmm. Oracle Cloud or whatever, whatever else there was. And you know, there must be a level of portability. I must be able to use it, move this workload from one to the other. Um, I think that's diminished. I think that's gone away. I think the for BC for business continuity, I think that some organisations consider that. 
Um, but that level of portability, what it really means is that you work at the lowest common denominator of both of the, you know, or, or both of the clouds that you've chosen. So, and so you don't get some of the benefits in terms of the tooling, in terms of the um, the, the more modern clouds, uh, cloud models that Tim mentioned earlier in terms of PaaS and containers and microservices. Um, so I, I think that multi-cloud still exists, but it's a use the right cloud for perhaps the right part of my business or the right, you know, the right um, the right application for this right set of you the, the the right set of users, rather than it's multi-cloud because I can deploy it on cloud A today and then and, you know and then tomorrow cloud B yeah. to get to, to to do price arbitrage and cost arbitrage across the two. I, that's that's not happening yet. That's an interesting perspective, actually. And also, it kind of aligns with what I've heard from some analysts um, who, who kind of see, obviously, multi-cloud, I guess, is inevitable to some respects, but see this, I think the way he phrased it was kind of um, cloud-preferred or you go to a certain partner uh, as a, your kind of preferred supplier, really. I mean, in terms of the kind of benefits, and I think we've touched on this already in terms of flexibility, agility, we spoke right at the start about the kind of cost savings piece and we have done throughout so far um are you seeing the kind of value change from from cloud when you're speaking to cios um i guess benefits like that could come up as you know time to market um the ability to grow revenue to improve customer service there's a big piece around unleashing your teams i guess to work on higher value tasks and, and that automation plays a big part in that as well um what's your take on that mark have you, have you kind of seen that shift over time yeah so um treating microsoft's as your service as your own data center with you know infrastructure managers and security teams managing those boxes if, as if they were physical boxes that they could go down or, or virtualized boxes that they could go down to their data center and and such that that's that's people people have moved away from that hopefully or at least the progressive organizations so the organizations who aren't looking at repatriating probably because of cost reasons have moved away from that we've got examples and um, public examples um where we um for, for, for instance with centrica we've um, increased the time to market by over 90%. And that's largely through the use of cloud. I mean, it's through the use of cloud and not just saying we're going to use um, Microsoft data centers or Microsoft cloud service instead of an on-premise data center. That's because we use the tooling associated with uh, Azure also to enable to uh, enable us to automate a change going from someone in the business's idea through to development through automated testing into production and that that's gone from weeks and months to it happens multiple times a day and the quality of the change and the, that we've implemented has, has, has increased as well because of lots of reasons in terms of not what not, not least of which is when you can change systems that quickly, it turns out the size of the change that you're going to put in a release is greatly reduced. So the risk uh, associated with that change, you know, you're not changing a system as much. So you can do it a lot quicker to a lot higher quality. And it's like I said, in in, in Centrica, in trading in Centrica, we, we've now increased the time to market by over 90%. And that's entirely enabled by cloud and the tools that sit on top of mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good good case study, actually. And that is kind of similar to other stories I've heard from CIOs, especially on that kind of front-end um, yeah, business perspective. I mean, Tim, I guess going more on the kind of back-end infrastructure piece, I know another advantage kind of more recently of cloud has been this idea that cloud can help kind of 
organizations ease their technical debt and i think you've done some research on this and that found i think it was 88 percent um that were moving to cloud uh we're doing so to remove their reliance on kind of legacy technology so kind of what are you seeing in that regard how is cloud kind of helping that that journey really yeah no absolutely so there's um uh, there's a couple of ways of looking at this i mean the you know if you look at sort of like things like legacy operating systems you know we've still got clients using windows server 2003 2008 2008 just gone end of life recently this year um you know and that that's going to continue to happen and that you know that in itself is is classified as technical debt you could argue that operating systems are technical debt these days when you've got things like platform as a service containers you know and i think we're going to see a a slow shift migration towards you know moving away from server-based applications and we're moving into a, a serverless kind of world mm-hmm. um what I would say is we're probably quite far away from that. Um, you know, it does take a lot of investment to to get there. So it's a, it's a, it's definitely a slow process. Um, but yeah, I mean, cloud from a you know from a, a technical and non-technical debt um, perspective around all of the automation, the um, all of the legacy operating systems. You know, all of that's relatively easy to achieve in cloud again because we're not procuring a, a data center like we used to and build all of the racks and do all mm-hmm. the plumbing and the cables and uh, you know it's all it's built as a as a whole thing and then when you fill it now it's a case of picking and choosing the services you want which allows you to sort of slowly sort of migrate across those types of things and i'd say the you know my advice on that area though around technical debt is it's just like sound financial management right it's 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 what are the quick wins what are the easy things you can uh, you know achieve yeah. up front um but then also you know keep an eye on some of the things that are actually costing you quite a lot so it's it's creating that roadmap around prioritizing the you know the, as i said those quick wins and then the, the the some of the big and ugly stuff um that is actually costing you quite a lot and then trying to remediate that hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense on the kind of quick wins perspective. I mean, I guess throughout this conversation, one thing, you know, we're speaking about the the value of cloud in, in, in a variety of forms, really. Um, when you're working with, you know, your clients, what, what do you see from the ROI piece and how they're measuring what success looks like? So I guess there's a number of ways you can measure this. Um, I know in a recent IDG study, over 90% the CIO said that they were getting ROI, but how you define that, I guess, is a, is a debate in its own right. Yeah, I, I I think that it's there's a, there's a, and having said that cloud maturity, there's always there's always room to to improve on cloud maturity. I think that the measurement of ROI depends upon an organisation's um, financial maturity. So uh, what we found is, and some 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 of our customers are, are fantastic at this and know down to the pounds and pence exactly what they're spending were and then can really measure um, the return of uh, moving that from their on-premise data centers or from another cloud provider to Microsoft. Um, the, uh, however, that uh, what, what happens in a lot of cases, and I'm pleased that the, the IDG study said 90% said they were getting ROI, um, what happens in a lot of cases is people don't actually understand the true cost of uh, implementing systems on premise and continuing yeah. to do that, mm-hmm. um, they don't they don't understand the the the, the cost of the of the data center and maybe it's outsourced, maybe it's with a third party, which is, it becomes a little bit clearer, but they don't understand the the cost of running the process across that, and and the testing. Uh, the, the the 
with many cloud migrations and journeys to cloud, if you're going to do it wholesale, as, as and it's a new one on me, Tim, lift, lift, shift, and tinker, but I, I understand it. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to move that um, your application workloads, which let's face it, is what is important to uh, from on-premise or from another cloud to Azure, then really that's a testing exercise. So you want your applications to work in exactly the same way or, or better than they worked in wherever they were housed previously. And so what needs to be included in that um, uh, ROI um, calculation is the cost of that migration, but also the benefits that you've you, you've gained by doing that migration. So, uh, you know, in, in for all of our customers, when we move them to the cloud, if they've got an existing workload and we're migrating that, what we will do is do a level of automation across the application. So rather than manual testing, which still happens, you know, in the majority of cases, in the majority of enterprises today to, 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 a, to a large extent, we will automate as much of that application testing as possible and test it on-premise or in its existing location, and then test it in Azure on its target location to make sure that the functionality and the and and the, and the way it behaves, the you know the performance is at least as good, the scalability is at least as good, and the cost of that target platform is at least as good as well. What, so if you measure that in in the round, then and you start to behave um, treating you know treating Azure as uh, the service that it is rather than you know using it as your data center but now provided by microsoft then there's typically a great roi but what's missed often is that testing that automation of testing so any new deployments any changes any any evolution of that cloud platform to take advantage of platform as a service or other or, or other emerging emerging um, technologies that, You've got a automated test suite that behaves as the user, that allows you to make sure that the the service that you're providing to the user, which is, as I said, is the most important bit in all of this, um, is is now automated. So you can ensure the quality and the, and and the the functional parity of those of the, of that migration and of any future changes. And that's missed from ROI calculations often. But um, I think. Yeah, the more progressive organisations, the better organisations, also also include that and the future total cost of ownership yeah. uh, in the ROI calculation. Mm -hmm. No, that's good points, Mark. And I think it goes back to I think your earlier comments around how a lot of the success of this is arguably down to how well you prepare, how well you plan uh, for cloud, and I guess yeah, how you align those those strategies, uh, kind of IT and business strategy as well. Um, I know we've only got a few minutes left, so I, I guess one question, and I'll keep with yourself, Mark, and then Tim, you can chime in on this as well, is I always like to finish with some kind of good practical advice um, for anyone listening today. So what would your kind of advice be for, for those that are perhaps already in the cloud, um, looking to get more value, get better ROI, What's, what would be your kind of pearls of, uh, of wisdom, Mark, and then Tim, over to you? Um, I would say uh, uh, along the lines of a point I mentioned earlier, so if Microsoft and all the other cloud providers are spending a huge amount on tooling and native tooling within their environments, um, bringing your own your own ways of working, your own processes, and your old tooling um, to the cloud, you need to really consider that because you know if the Microsoft solution isn't at least as good today at managing um, 
your Azure workloads. You know that it will be, and often you know that the costs, you know, the costs are significantly cheaper. So I think it's a you you must treat it as a uh, as a cloud service, not as your data center that was in you know wherever Swindon previously or Slough or Docklands previously in a, in a Microsoft data center. That's and that's the biggest mistake that we see pretty much time and time again because it's difficult for people to change their way of thinking and way of working and the tools associated with that, and and you don't really get the benefits um, of of moving to any cloud solution if that if that's if that's what you're going to do. Tim, thanks, Tim. Have you? Yeah, yeah sure. I'd, I'd say two things from me. I think is um, make sure that your guiding principles match your ambition as an organisation. I think quite frequently we see idealistic approaches to cloud because um, you know it can be done and it's better. So because it's better, let's do it. But unfortunately, it sets sets a lot of people down a path that means that, you know, to achieve certain things that may not be entirely necessary. So that's, you know, the balance between what I was saying before around the lifting and shifting and optimization or tinkering um, and things like a lot of the modernization. Get the balance right. Make sure that matches, you know, matches you know what you're actually trying to achieve, the, the, you know, the ambition of the results on cloud. Don't just try to do everything because you can, because we see a lot of that. And the other side of it is, you know, it's the scouts motto, um, you know, be prepared. Um, so, you know, making sure that you've got an inventory of everything that you've got within your organization and understanding a lot of the dependencies. You know, I see a lot of programs that, you know, go into delivery that, you know, miss um, some some major components and they can add some challenges to to the delivery and the transformation. And ultimately, it's, you know, the, the transformation costs that have a big bearing of the long-term ROI, uh, especially in, the, you know, the first couple of years. So I think ensuring that, you know, you've got uh, adequate preparation making sure you've got the right skills um, to, to execute that migration is, is really fundamental to making sure that the programs are success up front. Fantastic. Thanks, Tim. And, and I guess the last question I had, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball here. Um, how do you think we'll see the kind of cloud market evolve over the last 12 to 24 months, um, over the next 20, 24 months, I guess? Um, I guess we've, we've touched upon some of this already in terms of serverless, um, the big focus on automation. We're seeing um, AI, machine learning have an impact as well. Um, so, uh, Tim, I'll go to you first, and then, Mark, I'm sure you can chip in with some uh, uh, other insights from there. Yeah, I think, again, it, it depends on the market sector and the the, the size of the organisations. So I still think the next 12 to 24 months is is going to be, you know, a period where, you know, a lot of the laggard organisations or some of the really the big organisations that still own their own data centres, they're still going to be moving a lot of their, you know, applications and workloads to cloud, I think. And I think they'll be doing that in a, in a, in a very kind of, you know, lift and shift type fashion i think for some of the more sort of nimble new you know new organizations um we'll start to see a lot of those start to um break into a lot of the much more sort of new application side of things and i think ultimately what we'll see is you know organizations or businesses start to shoot out of you know new business models start to shoot out of you know, ownership of some of the legacy data so creating new business models out of you know existing it assets i think that's a way down the line for for some 
organizations, but you know, we are seeing a lot of businesses start up from nothing these days and they're all powered by cloud. And I think the the big organizations are trying to emulate that to to sort of like um, you know, protect their market share. Um so I think we'll see a lot more of that, a lot of projects invested in trying to do new things and fight off the uh, you know, the the, the new startup businesses. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, Mark, your kind of final comments, anything to add further already? I'd agree with Tim. I think the next time I'm an optimist and, and I'm hopeful that um, people will start to uh, continue to, to use the cloud um, to make their businesses lighter weight, to make them, you know, to focus on what they do as their core business, to make them more agile and to move from um, the disruption that's currently happening because, in part because of COVID, but in part because of the, 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 the speed and pace of technology change through to um, opportunity driven by that, that, that technology change to capitalize on the, on the benefits of, of um, the, the new and underlying technology. Fantastic. Um, we've run out of time, chats, but uh, yeah, Tim, Mark, really appreciate your time. There's a whole load of other things I'm sure we could have discussed, but uh, appreciate your time and insights today. You're welcome. Thank you, Doug. Fantastic. And of course, thanks to you listeners for tuning in. Up next in episode two, I'll be speaking to Avanard's Jason Revel and Sangeeta Dewan on how security needs to adapt to this new normal. So do join us then. In the meantime, if you want any further information on the topics discussed today, you can head to avanard.com or cio.com. For CIO, I'm Doug Drinkwater. Thanks, goodbye, and see you soon.